Hey everyone, I'm Alex Cantor. And I'm Lily Rosenthal. Welcome to our podcast, Hot Pastrami. We are coming to you from our favorite booth at Cantor's Deli here in LA. We're going to invite some of our friends to join us for a chat over some matzo ball soup and pastrami sandwiches. So join us for new episodes of Hot Pastrami every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, or wherever you listen to podcasts. See you soon. Bye. Welcome to Profoundly Pointless. My name is Nick Vinzant. Coming up in this episode, solar weather and fall, y'all. Space weather is the weather in space, and it's completely, totally driven by the sun. We can see the solar cycle in the measurements of the cosmic rays, because when the sun is less active, so at solar minimum, we have a lot more cosmic rays coming. One of the uh, biggest questions in our field is what would happen if the current on event happened today? I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, subscribe, leave us a rating or a review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. If you're a new listener, welcome to the show. If you're a longtime listener, thank you so much for all of your support. So our first guest studies the sun, specifically what's happening on the sun and how it creates the solar weather that can have such a big impact on our entire planet. This is heliophysicist Dr. Erica Palmario. Is space weather like I think of weather, like, or is it really kind of something completely different? Yeah, space weather is basically, we do more or less the same things. We have to do forecasts, we have different conditions, we have uh, nice space weather conditions, we have more disturbed space weather conditions. Um, so yeah, they can be pretty much compared. So when we talk about like space weather, what is it essentially? Exactly. So space weather is the weather in space and it's completely totally driven by the sun, but um, it's not this static ball of gas, of ionized gas, I, must, I should say, which is known as plasma. Um, so it's just not this static ball that is just there uh, in space. It goes through um, a lot of uh, activity. And actually, the activity of the sun is dictated by what we call the solar cycle. So every 11 years, we will have the sun alternating between a state of being a bit more quiet, which we call the solar minimum, and a, and a state of being much more active, which we call solar maximum. And solar activity manifests through things such as eruptions. Um, and parts of eruptions are, for example, solar flares or coronal mass ejections, CMEs. And um other phenomena so for example we have the solar wind streaming all the time from the sun continuously and all of these um things that happen on the sun can obviously affect other objects in the solar system including earth what is it though like is it radiation is it just pure energy coming at us like what is the thing that is happening i guess yes so and, and now it's going to be a pretty, a pretty long conversation, but bear with me and please feel free to stop me at any point. So, for example, when we have a solar eruption, 
we have some st magnetic structure, magnetic bundle of magnetic fields that is there that somehow becomes unstable. So a solar flare is this very rapid burst of uh, energy, of magnetic energy that we see as a very fast brightening on the sun that can last from a few minutes to a couple of hours. And from there, yes, we get radiation coming out in the in the solar system. Um, and at the same time, we can have also a so-called coronal mass ejection or CME coming out of the sun. Uh, and that's literally a cloud, a huge cloud of uh, plasma and magnetic fields that can be thrown in any direction. So sometimes it's going to miss us, but sometimes it's going to directly impact us. Now, from a flare, we can get radiation um, and also from a CME eruption when it's still very close to the sun, so it's still full of energy and can accelerate particles. Um, we get these special particles that we call solar energetic particles. Uh, that are particles that are accelerated to such high energies that they uh, are giving out a lot of radiation. So when, if, and when they impact us, depending on how strong this level of radiation we have here, we can have something that is called a radiation storm. And that's what is actually dangerous for a spacecraft in, uh, in, in space, because this radiation can damage their electronics, and we have had uh, occasions or like some episodes of losing some instruments uh, on board some spacecraft or losing a spacecraft altogether. Um, and also these radiation storms, this radiation is very dangerous for astronauts, which also connects me to the next point. So uh, Earth has its own magnetic field that generates this bubble of, of, of magnetic protection that we call the magnetosphere. Now the magnetosphere is, if you look at it, now let's try to imagine, it's basically a bubble that is stretched enormously on one side. And the side on which it's stretched, it's the side that points away from the sun. And that's because we have the solar wind that I mentioned before coming all the time towards us, us and stretching these magnetic fields away from the sun. It's basically the same concept as if you are blowing your hair with an air dryer and you will have the hair going all on one side, right? Um, I was imagining like somebody drawing a tennis ball, like when they draw like the wind yes. going over and it's like, that's how I would imagine it. Yes, exactly, exactly. Something like that. Um, so now, for example, the um, but inside this bubble, we have a lot of protection from Earth's magnetic field itself, right? Now, when we have a coronal mass ejection coming towards us, which are these huge, huge clouds of plasma and magnetic field, they have their own magnetic field, obviously. And when the magnetic field coming from a CME is pointing instead southward and it's hitting Earth's magnetosphere, um, something, um, a process called magnetic reconnection happens where um, the lines merge and then separate, which means that Earth's magnetosphere will literally open on the day side. The magnetic field will be thrown up back towards the night side and we have extra uh, particles and all this solar wind material from the sun that can flow straight into the poles which is also what gives us auroras, which is the, I, my, I mean, 
at least in my opinion, it's the most beautiful uh, uh, spectacle that can come out of uh, solar activity. And I think it's the only visual, um, literally visual, uh, you know, in uh, in uh, at wavelength that our eyes can see. It's the only visual manifestation of space weather. Um, but what else can come when when a coronal mass ejection with a south magnetic south pointing magnetic field comes towards us is that we get all these extra particles, extra currents coming in. So we will have elevated currents on ground, which can disrupt uh, things like power, power lines and energy transformers, all these technology things that we are so accustomed to right now. But there is no direct effect on human health on the ground. So it really kind of like the only thing it could really do to us is kind of like knock out our electronics, which would then cause global chaos. Yes. And uh, one other kind of storm that we can have is called a radio blackout, which means that on the day side, radio waves cannot transmit properly. So there's basically when we get down to it, right? Like the solar wind, a solar flare and a CME. Yes, these are the main the main things that we have to to be afraid of. And obviously solar flares and CMEs are what accelerate solar energetic particles. So if we didn't have that magnetic field, are we just are we just to are we just toast basically? Um I mean, probably yes. I mean, uh that's that's literally what's happening on the moon. So the moon has no magnetic field of itself and no, and be, apart from probably something localized on the, on the crust of the moon, but there is no large scale protection. So, which is okay. Apart from the fact that we couldn't breathe because there is no atmosphere, but uh, if we don't, okay. If we ignore the fact that we couldn't breathe, yeah, we can't have just someone on the moon staying there um, because I mean, yes, when we have solar activity, um, there is enhancements of this radiation, but you know, the solar wind itself is streaming particles continuously, which are not as energetic, but still, you know, over time radiation would still accumulate, I would say. How's our magnetic field, right? Like there's no danger to our magnetic field or anything. Is there? I hope. <laughs> no, our, our magnetic field is fine. So if you were to kind of put like on a scale of one to 10 with one being like, we don't know what this yellow looking ball in the sky is to 10, we've got this whole thing figured out. Where do you think that we would be kind of in our knowledge of what's going on with the sun? On the sun? Hmm, I would say six or seven, maybe let's say six and a half. There is really a lot to, to still discover. I guess what's going on with the sun? I don't know if that's a good question or not. But like, I have no idea what the sun really is. Like, I get it. But I have no clue what's really going on up there. It's a middle-aged star, which means that it's at its phase of burning uh, hydrogen into helium. We can think about the sun a bit like an onion. We have three major layers in the inside, which is called the solar interior, and then three layers of uh, on the outside that we call the solar atmosphere. Uh, so in the inside, we have the nucleus, which is where um, all this fusion, um, 
reactions happen. So where we're burning hydrogen into helium. Uh, then we have the uh, radiative zone, which is where the energy that is produced with these reactions is radiating uh, outwards. Then we have the convection zone, which is where uh, this um, energy is moved moves upward, outwards through convective motions, where convective motion is basically like water boiling, where we have cold stuff going down and hot stuff going up, or am I getting it the other way? Whatever. Anyway, it, we have these convective motions. Um, and then we get to the um, atmosphere where, um, as I said before, the lower lowest layer, which is the one we can see uh, with our eyes, protected eyes, is the photosphere. Then we have the chromosphere, which is uh, another layer that is kind of uh, low in the sun. And then we have the corona, which is the outermost layer of the solar atmosphere. And it's uh, kind of giant. Like, <laughs> like we, we normally, like, even if we look at um, places, uh, for example, away 30 solar radii, so 30 times the radius of the sun, we still kind of, we still call that area the corona. So it's like a very, uh, the sun has a gigantic atmosphere. And then at some point we will have this transition from the corona to the solar wind, even if obviously the solar wind is formed much lower at the sun, but we, and then at some point we will have, uh, probably after Mercury's orbit, what we call interplanetary space, but then also after the planets, the sun is still, um, influencing all the system. And actually the entire sphere of influence of the sun um, in terms of solar wind or, you know, in terms of like what we uh, study in heliophysics, which is the subject of studying the sun and its environment, all this bubble is called the heliosphere, literally the solar sphere, which is not as big as, for example, the sphere of influence of, sun, of the sun's gravity. So, for example, a lot of times, like when you talk about the solar system, like depends on what you're talking about, because the sun's gravity has uh, an influence much farther away. So, for example, where we know that the comets are born in the Oort cloud, that's way outside of the heliosphere. Uh, but um, the sphere of influence of the solar wind, so where the solar wind then meets the interstellar wind, that's um, what defines the heliosphere. So that's out like way past Pluto, basically. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. By a lot. Yes. <laughs> that's the thing that, that always gets me whenever we like I hear about space is like, this can't be real. All this, like all this <laughs> stuff can't be real, right? I know it's so cool. <laughs> but I'm like, no, no. <laughs> but but we, we have gone out of the heliosphere. We actually have measurements from outside of the heliosphere. We have had two spacecraft that have left it, or at least two spacecraft that have left it. And we have data of which are the two Voyager spacecraft that were launched in 1977. I think that Voyager 2, so the second one crossed this line of um, um, dividing the solar influence from interstellar space uh, in 2018, so pretty recently. And yes, yeah, so now we have two probes that are actually measuring the interstellar winds. 
So how far, like how many million miles is it out there before you finally get past it? So I can do it more or less in, uh, in terms of distance between the earth and, uh, and the sun. Um, so we are at 100 plus, so probably 120, definitely more than 100 times the distance between earth and the sun. Whoa, that's pretty far out. And the distance between the earth and the sun is 150 million kilometers, which in miles, I think should be something like 98 million miles. Say 98. So like, uh, what's nine? What's ninety? What's ninety-eight <laughs> times a hundred? Uh, nine thousand eight hundred. Nine thousand eight hundred million miles, whatever that is. So, almost ten billion miles. That's insane. That, that's a lot of mathematics for a for a Friday. Afternoon. I know, right? <laughs> like this is a Tuesday morning kind of conversation, not a Friday afternoon <laughs> kind of conversation. But like, is it? It's absolutely noticeable. Like, if you're on this side of the heliosphere, you know it. And once you're on that line, it's like crossing into the deep end or something. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like a very sharp line. We have the, the same at the division between the magnetosphere and the solar wind. So actually, you know, as we can think of Earth's magnetosphere separating us from the solar wind, it's a bit the same of uh, in the case of the heliosphere being separated from the interstellar wind. Uh, but between all of these interfaces, there is something that we call a sheath region. So for example, the, in the case of Earth, protecting us from the solar wind, uh, we have the magneto sheath, uh, and for the heliosphere separating from the interstellar wind, we have the helio sheath. So it's a region where materials from both sides are kind of mixing up, because yeah, the division is not extremely sharp. So then, we are we ever affected by, you know, the solar winds or whatever from other stars? Um, no, the only thing that we get from outer space is galactic cosmic rays, which are um, very, very energetic particles that are coming from who knows where, the center of the galaxy, some supernovae, you know, so things that are happening outside in the galaxy. So we have these rays that um, come to us and actually... Uh, funnily enough, we can see the solar cycle in uh, the measurements of the cosmic rays because when the sun is less active, so at solar minimum, we have a lot more cosmic rays coming because this, the sun is not you know, as energized. But during solar maximum, we measure a lot of less particles from the galaxy because the sun is shooting stuff out all the time. So it's kind of protecting us. It's kind of like the weak, like a weak spot in a force field. That's the way that yes. I imagine it, right? Like it's <laughs> mm -hmm. getting through the force field at solar minimum and not at solar maximum. Yes, exactly. Yes. I finally, like I understood. I understood that part. <laughs> right? Like I got that. The math was too hard, but I got that part. Um, are you ready for some harder slash listener submitted questions? Oh, we have listeners. I didn't know. Yes, sure. Let's go for it. Biggest solar weather event we've ever been hit with what did it do oh 
I can talk for so long about this. Oh, okay, the biggest, I know the biggest, but um, it happened so long ago. So, okay, let's start. I, yes, <laughs> history. <clears throat> so if you have ever, like if you're like a space weather enthusiast or if you know a bit about the sun, you, have, you must have heard about the Carrington event, uh, which was the literally the biggest storm geomagnetic storm that we have had to date now this storm happened in september 1859 so that was a long time ago right um so as soon as the carrington event because richard carrington this amateur uh british um astronomer was looking at the sun when there was this big flare happening uh, so he actually did a drawing. Uh, now, side note, there was another astronomer who did look at the same event, uh, Richard Hodgson, but it's known as the Carrington event nowadays. Um, now, as I said, solar eruptions, we have flares and CMEs, they can happen separately. So we can have only a flare, we can have only a CME in, in the most uh, in the strongest eruptions, they tend to happen together. So you have the brightening from the flare and the cloud coming off. The cloud, CME, coming off and eating us is what drives then a geomagnetic storm, which is when I said we have the magnetosphere peeling and opening, we have all the particles coming in, we have auroras, we have extra currents going on on ground. So that's all parts of a geomagnetic storm. Um, so the cloud that was released at the eruption that Richard Carrington uh, saw via the flare arrived to us pretty quickly, I think in about one day. Uh, and um, we didn't have spacecraft, we didn't have satellites at that time. We, astronauts were not even in the, in the books, you know, for, for at least another hundred years. But what did we have in 1959? The telegraph. So the telegraph system all around Europe and uh, the northern um, Northern America completely failed. So there are even reports of um, telegraph operators disconnecting the machines and the machines were still sending messages because of so much uh, electric currents that were just roaming around on ground. Um, some operators got electric shocks, but apparently no, I mean, there are no reports of deaths, <laughs> so that's great. Uh, but the point is that we have always asked, like, what? So one of the um, one of the uh, biggest questions in our field is what would happen if the Carrington event happened today? Because back in the day, the damage couldn't be that huge because we only had uh, the telegraph going on as you know uh, as um, technological infrastructure. And as I said. There are absolute, even from, from this kind of event where Aurora was seen until the Caribbean. So there are reports from Mexico, uh, from Cuba, and people said that they could just read the newspaper at night because of the Aurora lights were so bright. Um, and But as I said, from something like that, there is absolutely no um, direct damage to the human body, only to the infrastructure and damage to humans can only be indirect. But yeah, what would happen? We don't know yet. I mean, we, we obviously can do research and speculations, but something this strong has not happened since then on Earth. But we have had some other interesting uh, events. 
So, for example, in um, in 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 seventy two, uh, I think that the eruption was in August. Uh, it was uh, a very strong eruption with the uh, related with flare and CME. The CME arrived to us uh, very quickly again. What was um, interesting to me about that event is that so the radiation storm, the one that comes very quickly because of these particles coming straight at us very quickly after an eruption, was so strong that. So this happened in April, no, in August uh, 1972, and we had Apollo, one Apollo, one of the Apollos launching in April and the other one, the next one launching in December of the same year. Had it happened, had this eruption happened during one of the Apollo uh, launches or, or missions, uh, the astronauts, it has been estimated, they would have gotten enough radiation for um, actually getting cancer. So, and you know, back in the day, we didn't know about, you know, the effects of space weather, because again, it's, it's such a new, um, it's such a new uh, feed. Actually, the first CME observed was in 1970. Can we predict them at all? So that's what we are trying. Um, and, and that's what space weather research, uh, the, the field of space weather in research does. Um, and um, at the moment, we cannot really predict when an eruption is going to happen, at least not um, n not early enough. I mean, you can you can see some little precursors of an eruption right before it's happening, but officially, yeah, we don't have we cannot absolutely understand when something an eruption will happen. After it has happened, we can try to forecast its effects on Earth. Um, but obviously, again, um, we, we do not realize that, for example, for terrestrial weather, we have had like, we've started working on predictions even before technology. Uh, but this field is pretty, pretty novel. So uh, we have a lot to, to work on, but also because, you know, you have an eruption happening at the sun and we don't have anything between the sun and earth to keep monitoring, right? So it would be something like trying to understand the weather in Los Angeles by following one cloud that you saw in Central Europe. Yeah, you can't figure it out, right? It's like, and I would imagine that even if we could put something up there, it still wouldn't be able to get us a signal faster than that thing's going to hit us. I mean, for the particles, solar energetic particles, they're very quick. So when you're on uh, operators and, you know, I, I do work uh, or at least meet up and converse with people who actually work in the operations. I mean, that's like they have to be on call because if there is like, you know, like a medical doctor and I'm like, ah, but that, that, that's, that's that's not why I did science. <laughs> Like they have to be on call. And if there is some fast event, they have to immediately uh, warn the astronauts and, and everything and, you know, and, and launch um, uh, alerts. And because these things have to be done extremely quickly because these particles are quick. Um, instead for CMEs, unless it's something extremely fast, I think that the fastest CME that has ever come to us arrived in 14 hours 
or 17, anyway, between 14 and about 15 hours, right? Which is extremely quick. Normally they take about three days. So when I think of like measurement, right? Like I'm thinking of kind of along the lines of like the Richter scale, right? So if you took this event, the is it Covington or Corrington? Carrington. Carrington, mix of both of those, right? So where would that be on kind yes. of like the measurement scale? <clears throat> okay, so <laughs> that's that's a very nice question because our scales do not do not like there is a top and above that it's still gonna be that. So I'm pretty sure it would. So for example, for geomagnetic storms, the official scale uh, from NOAA. Uh, is from G1 minor storm. I mean, obviously, there is when there is no storm, it doesn't have a name. G1 minor storm to G5 extreme storm. So I'm 100% confident the Carrington event would have been classified as a G5. Uh, but, you know, we don't have anything above it. So the strong ones, they're still going to be called G5 because the scale just doesn't go right doesn't it doesn't matter if it wipes the earth out it's still a g5 and and i mean it's a, it's a bit the same for flares more or less uh like so flares uh okay let's only talk about the decent ones because the scale goes very low and for things that we can barely see but we have c flares very weak m flares kind of medium x flares very strong but this and they go on a logarithmic scale so you know an m flare is 10 times more powerful than the the c flare and the x flare 10 times more powerful and then they have named they have numbers inside so you can have x1 x2 x3 x4 but for example for m you go from m1 through m m9 and then you get to the x class well the x class just doesn't end um so it has been estimated obviously you know from drawings done 150 years ago that the Carrington event uh, flare could have been something like X46, which is kind of crazy. <laughs> but but yeah, it, it would still be an X flare because this K just, yeah, ends. Man. But there's no indication that like, okay, this happens every so often. This happens every, you know, like an earthquake. Like, all right, well, every 300 years, we're going to get another one. I mean, we don't, I mean, the, 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 estimate is that this kind of very strong events should happen once every more or less 150 years so it's time now <laughs> no i'm joking <laughs> but the point is that okay they even if it happens it could happen on the far side of the sun and just not come to us at, at all so there there has been in 2012 a pretty pretty strong um cme launched from the sun but it missed us because it was just not launched in our direction so these cmes are very big but you know, if you consider, okay, if you consider the sun and all the pla uh, all the planets being more or less on the same plane, close to the solar equator, so now we only consider 360 degrees. I mean, there have been CMEs that have been so so large that they could almost cover 180 degrees, but you know, on average, they cover like 90 degrees more or less of the you know of the full circle. So. There are many of them that just don't come to us because they are just going in another direction. So, yes, the sun will pretty for sure have another huge eruption. Uh, when we have no idea, and in which direction we have no idea. So it it could it could happen tomorrow and miss us. 
Does it like move? Okay, this is maybe a ridiculous question or a brilliant question. Does it move the planet, right? Like I'm just imagining this thing coming and bumping against our shield. Like does it push us backwards or in any direction? No, no, no. But it does, it, like it does compress the magnetosphere. So like the magnetosphere is very, I, I don't know. I like to think about it as something that is breathing with the sun, with the solar wind. So if we have like stronger, faster solar wind, it will compress on the day side, obviously. So the side that is facing the sun, if we have very slow wind and very calm conditions, it will, it will bounce back out. If we have a very strong storm, it's going to be compressed, almost coming to very, very closer to like Earth's atmosphere and stuff like that. But the Earth itself will not change its Path. That's good. I'm imagining like somebody <laughs> sitting on one of those exercise balls. Oh, yeah. That's kind of what I imagine it's like. Like, oh, if you get a big one, it's going to compress it a lot, but it's still okay. It's still okay. Yeah, yes, exactly. Um, I guess what's like, what's your biggest, what would be your biggest fear about it? I think that the most, the thing that would, um, the worries me the most is probably astronauts' health. Because, you know, these people are out there, like, you know, uh, exploring space and the cosmos for us. And I, I would like for them to stay in perfect health. It kind of sounds to me like we should be very afraid and not afraid at all, right? Like, it would ruin yes. society, but we would live through it at least if we... Oh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, humanity uh, survived for millions of years without even knowing about solar activity we didn't have technology back then but we survived yes <laughs> is are our governments or entities like doing something about this like hey one of these is going to hit us and it's going to be a big problem we should probably prepare for this so some countries have started to declare space weather as you know a national catastrophe or national disaster class as if you know as an earthquake or you know just as something that to be aware of um now obviously i'm more informed about well finland which is where i studied uh at university and obviously the us because that's where i live and work now so i will talk about the us uh so <laughs> in the us we have NOAA, the national oceanic and atmospheric administration it, i am the worst it's always at, something at, it's noaa that's what i remember right which, yes which order yes, it exactly. is is always like wait a minute what does it mean <laughs> yeah <laughs> i think i think the national oceanic and atmospheric administration i'm the worst with with acronyms but i think it's correct uh so they are the ones who do the official space weather forecasts and and give out warnings um not nasa aha did you know that? Uh, so um, they have this branch of NOAA called SWIPSI, uh, Space Weather Prediction Center, where they do, and I mean, you, you can even go to the internet and look at their page. They have some nice overview pages uh, where they show what the sun is looking out today, what the solar corona is looking like today, if there are any warnings um, out. Um, what's the probability of a big eruption happening? So, for example, as I said, we don't know yet how to predict when an eruption will happen. But, for example, what they do and know is that they look at all the strong regions of stronger magnetic field on the sun called active regions. 
um, and they look at how complex uh, the magnetic field is or how strong it is. And then they say, okay, if an eruption happens from there, what's the probability that we're going to have a strong uh, radiation event? So things like this, it's all things that you can find on their web website. But is there anything that we can fundamentally do? We're like, no, technology operates on this and... The soul and space weather would disrupt this, and it's like there's nothing you can do. Um, no, I mean the the most important things to protect are satellites, uh, because you know even if I mean obviously I'm mostly interested in the scientific satellites, but uh, but a lot of stuff works on satellites, TV, some TV I think, the GPS of course, uh, military satellites, all of these things are like there are so many satellites up there that that, that we that contribute to our daily life and we don't even know uh, sometimes. Um, so anyway, um, so the imp- what comes goes into preparedness to space weather is either shutting down satellites on time. So you know that something big is coming, shut down the satellite so that you protect the instruments. Uh, and for here again, um, for, for down on earth, yeah, shutting down a transformer. Um, going on backup battery powers, you know, so all these things like to try to turn off the main systems until the conditions are back to being um, quiet. That seems like a good plan. Yeah, I mean, that's how we want to be prepared. Now, the hard part is to <laughs> is to be able to exactly predict when something is happening. How much time do we generally have, though, right? Uh, for flares, uh, you know, or radiation coming from flares and the very initial launch of a CME about 30 minutes on Earth. Oh, that's not a bit more. A bit more on Mars. That's not. <laughs> that's not a lot of time. Yeah, and then for the CME, which is the geomagnetic storm, uh, but but the. Um, um, for the CME or geomagnetic storm, as I said, about three days. But if it's a very extreme event, of ten twenty hours, if it's a Carrington level event, which is not something that we should expect. Essentially, that kind of your research right now, like what are you working on? What are you finding? That kind of stuff. My in my daily life, well, first of all, I like to work on a lot of projects at the same time. Uh, so, as probably most scientists, uh, just to spice up your life a bit. Uh, but what I work on the most is to what we call space weather research as opposed to operations, right? Because operations are the people who have to look at the sun, um, predict what's going on now, right? Instead, I usually work on older events or like events that have already happened and either um, use uh, very complicated computer models to try to uh, understand from a fundamental physics point of view what was going on with that event um, and that would be to try to improve our knowledge of solar eruptions and the physics of these things coming towards us and and driving storms uh, sometimes instead some other projects are about doing what we call hindcasts so trying to use models that are a bit quicker, less complicated, uh, and simulating what would happen if I had to forecast this event in real time. 
So trying to use only data that would be available in real time and see how the forecast would have been. Um, yes. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna show you this thing. We had one request to show this and to see what you thought about this. This is from the movie Knowing. I don't. Oh, I don't. I've watched that movie. <laughs> okay. If I remember correctly, that was from a solar flare, right? Yeah, this is from a solar flare. I watched this. I watched this movie so long ago, and it was. I mean, I watched it back in the day with colleagues, and yeah, it was. It was a night like after work. We stayed uh, in the you know meeting room uh, because we had this huge screen where we did, you know, teleconferencing, but we used it to watch this and yeah, we laughed a lot. It was great. <laughs> um, scientific accuracy, extremely low. <laughs> this is not what would, what would happen from a solar flare. Like what, I guess what about it is wrong. <laughs> so kind of everything. <laughs> I mean, um, so, um, so first of all, like we we wouldn't have things going on fire, like you know, as a tsunami of fire. I don't think that's going, that would happen. <laughs> yeah, that is yeah, basically a tsunami of fire. I mean, very beautiful visuals, but also um, one thing that is very important uh, to to clarify is that a flare and the CME are two very different things. They are part of the same eruptive mechanism. So of the, they both happen during what we call to be, uh, or, or in our understanding of how a solar eruption works, but a flare like you know, I you hear a lot, like in movies, especially. Oh, a flare is coming. Well, the flare is not coming to Earth. Only the CME can come to Earth. The flare is just this bright flash that you see on the sun. Particles accelerated by a flare can come to Earth, but the particles are very invisible. They wouldn't do that. <laughs> you mean there's not going to be a giant sweeping thing of fire? Of fire, no. I I know I know I also I also was very shocked to learn that no. But is something like this like is this visually in any way kind of accurate about like oh this is happening at the edge of the magnetosphere? No, nothing about it. Not a single thing, right? No, unfortunately, unfortunately, like I know you know. When people watched Interstellar, especially um, scientists that apparently work on black holes, they were like, oh, that looks so accurate and, you know, and beautiful visuals. I mean, the beautiful visuals that we have in uh, in solar physics are, well, the sun itself, which in my opinion is pretty beautiful to look at, uh, and auroras. But, you know, when there is a disaster going on, you the only thing you can say, you can... The visual represent, and you had to represent like an actual disaster from solar weather, from space weather on the movies. Like you would see probably mission control looking at, you know, the signal from a satellite and then the signal just dying, <laughs> which is very sad, but not very cinematographic. I would say <laughs> very, very not, not very Hollywood worthy. And maybe, yeah, you know, and then the power 
grids going off. So like, you know, blackout. Yeah. Like general blackout that happens sometimes in movies. Um, is there anything that you think that we missed or anything like that? Or like, this is the coolest thing. Um, maybe how we how we monitored the sun in yeah. terms of like uh, measurements. Um, okay, so um, we look at the sun from Earth uh, in uh, a b bunch of channels or wavelengths. Um, mostly, uh, we look at solar activity in so-called extreme ultraviolet, which is a bit stronger than ultraviolet, which I'm pretty sure that everybody has heard of the UV. Um, and where we can see a lot, like if you look at the picture of the sun in EUV, uh, like it's completely different than what you would expect from, from just, you know, imagining the sun in the sky. There is so much activity going on and all these loops of plasma and very, these very bright regions of stronger magnetic field, the active region, you see so much going on and you can see these eruptions being launched beautifully. So that's what we look at to see, you know when an eruption will happen or like the general structure of the solar magnetic field. Then we can look at the corona, which I said was the outer layer of the solar atmosphere that is gigantic, uh, with a very special telescope that is called a coronagraph, which is a telescope that creates a, an artificial eclipse. So basically these telescopes have, and they're mostly based in space, um, but they have a thing that is called an occulter that is literally covering the solar, the bright solar disk so that then we can reveal all the uh, very, very, very faint corona. Um, and there we can look, uh, we can look at CMEs. So when, when, uh, when they erupt, we see literally bright clouds moving away from the sun and becoming uh, like by the time they are at about a few solar radii away from the sun, they're already tens of times bigger than the sun itself. Like they grow so fast and they are, they are very spectacular to look at. And then um, we have some imagers scattered that look at the space between the sun and earth, but nothing uh, that is fixed looking always at the same, um, at the same space. But then something that is very important is that we have our solar wind monitors at the so-called point L1, which is the Sun-Earth-Lagrange point L1, which is one of five very special points in space where the mutual gravity between the Sun and Earth um, makes them stable. So if you park a spacecraft there, it's going to be there without using very, with using very little fuel. And it's literally a parking spot in space. Uh, People who are interested in astronomy might have heard of L2, uh, which is the point where actually the James Webb Space Telescope is now. So L1 is between the Sun and Earth, just 1% ahead of Earth in uh, when you consider the full Sun-Earth distance, and L2 is behind Earth. And the James Webb Space Telescope has to be there because it's using Earth uh, as a screen from the very bright Sun, because, you know, to look at the universe, you don't want all the light right. from the sun. So that perfect parking that that parking spot is perfect for for James Webb Space Telescope. But we are interested in the sun, so we are on the other side, getting all measuring at the spacecraft all the solar wind that is coming. So when we have a CME coming, we measure it at L1 about 30 to 60 minutes before it's going to actually impact Earth. 
So that's another, that's the warning time that we have at the moment, 30 to 60 minions where we are sure of what's coming because it has been measured. But obviously what we want is to have the lead time going to many hours, possibly days, right? So there are some uh, mission concepts of like parking a ring of spacecraft at Venus's orbit. Venus is at 70% the uh, distance between Earth and the Sun. Uh, so, which means that then the warning time would be would go from 30 to 60 minutes to about one day, uh, you know, 18 to 24 hours if we park a ring of spacecraft there. But yeah, we have a lot of mission concepts coming out. So let's see. I'm very curious to see what will be approved for flying for improving our measurements around space. That's kind of crazy. The idea that you can just like there's a parking spot in space. And actually from ESA uh, and NASA will contribute with one instrument. Um, uh, They are sending, uh, I I think that for now the uh, plan is for 2027, 2029, but they will send a spacecraft at L5, at the L5 point that is 60 degrees so if you're earth and look at the sun it's 60 degrees to your to your um left and from there then you can see um solar eruptions coming straight at earth much much more easier than looking you know from earth at something that is coming towards you which is you know there are all these projection effects when you look at 2d images um so yeah very exciting that we will have a mission that will be parked there at this l5 parking spot and we'll look at solar eruptions for us and how much how much extra time would that give us it's not much about the time because we're not uh measuring because that spacecraft will still be at the same distance as earth from the sun so it's but but the point is that it's going to give us so much more confidence in um, understanding where uh, eruptions are like what their propagation direction is how big they are um how fast they are going so because when you have two well separated points to look at something in 2d images then you can triangulate the thing you're trying to study and you get much less errors so it's gonna i mean it's it is going to give a lot of improvements in terms of space weather um predictions uh but not in terms of measuring the stuff that is coming straight at us locally, but in terms of uh, making predictions from afar. I want to thank Dr. Paul Mario so much for joining us. If you want to connect with her, we have linked to her on our social media accounts. We're profoundly pointless on TikTok, Instagram, and YouTube. And we've also included her information in the episode description. If you want to see what some of this solar activity and what some of these solar flares really look like, The YouTube version of this interview will be live on September 28th at 4.30 p.m. Pacific. Real quick, I want to take a second and thank one of the sponsors of our show, Incogni. Incogni's mission is to help you take back control of your data privacy. We all know that data brokers and companies collect our personal information and then sell it, and who knows where it goes. Incogni's mission is to take your data back just as easily. Every year, identity theft seems to become a bigger and bigger problem. There has been a 68% increase in the number of data breaches in 2021 alone. 
and the likelihood of your data being stolen just keeps getting higher and higher. What Incogni does is reach out to data brokers on your behalf, requests that your personal data be removed, and then deals with any objections from their side going forward. What data brokers do is if you make a request, they'll remove it, but then they go back. Incogni keeps that from happening through three easy steps. Create an account, grant them the right to work, and then they will contact data brokers on your behalf and request that your data be removed permanently. And right now, Incogni is available risk-free for 30 days. Anybody can try it, and if you don't like it, you'll get a full refund. We even have a special discount available. All you have to do is go to incogni.com slash profound and enter the code profoundly, and you can try Incogni risk-free for 30 days. We've also put a link in the description along with that promo code if you want to check it out. Okay, now let's bring in John Schull and get to the pointless part of the show. What natural disaster do you are you most afraid of? Like, oh, I'm really worried about this thing happening to me. I mean, I'm pretty terrified of, like, an asteroid hitting the Earth. Oh, yeah. But that seems to be really random. Yeah, and it's, I I don't know. I mean, it is possible, but is it in the realm of, like, realistic possibility? Probably not. So, in saying that, I'll probably say... Wait, why are you so afraid of an asteroid? I mean, I mean, because I feel like there's nothing you can do. There's literally, I mean, I, I hate to say like use a use a movie for for example, but it's it's there's nothing like Armageddon, right? Isn't Armageddon the movie where they like send up oil drillers or something? <laughs> I never understood that premise of the movie. Like, hey, you know what? You can figure out how to get a spacecraft into space. But there's no way you're going to be able to figure out this oil drill, man. Like, you may be a genius, but you're not smart enough for... Like, that movie made no sense, right? Like, I understand that you can learn how to do build a rocket, but you don't know how to operate a drill. Yeah, it's... When did you start to become... When did you, when did you become afraid of asteroids? I mean, not really. You just asked me... You asked me like what I like if there was one you know natural disaster that I would be most fearful of, and I think that would be it. Plus, I did just watch a video, and I don't know how old this is. I think it's relatively new of an asteroid hitting the moon. Um, and it, it I mean, it was massive. Yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, that's one of those that I don't worry about because it's like you're dead. Don't worry <laughs> about it, man. Like. What's what's going to happen to us? Well, you ain't going to have to worry about it. I mean, if like I said, if I had to pick a like a, a realistic one, not that that can't happen, but something that could happen every year, uh, probably like uh, some kind of flooding. Oh, yeah. I don't worry about flooding too much. I live in Seattle where earthquakes are like a real thing, right? Like the biggest natural disaster of all time is supposed to happen here like at any time in the next hundred years. Like it's a real thing. Like, oh no, you really, you really got to be worried about that. I mean, it, it makes it makes no. It does not surprise anybody that that, of course, is where you live, and that is where the world is supposed to start ending. What is that? Oh, I see what you did. I see how you tied it. At first, I was like, what is that? Oh, 
do you ever wonder if like all of this is real? Like, there's no way that this, like, no, there's not space out there. There's not an asteroid. Like, this is all just a computer simulation. I don't want to get into that whole, like, conspiracy theory, but do you ever wonder if, like, mm, this can't be real? Like, this, no. I mean, no. there are times in the morning to where, you know, I, I'm I'm trying to get somewhere fast and someone pulls out. And then they're going 20 miles an hour. And then I hit every, you know, red light. And then I go to get on the highway and there's an accident that just happened five minutes before I got on the highway. You know, just things like that where I'm like, is, is, this, is this a joke? Is this the Truman Show? Yeah. I always wonder, like, sometimes. Like, no. <laughs> the sun's 93 million miles. And like, no, it's not. This <laughs> like, is, just, like, this does is my good... wife actually love me? Yeah, it's weird, right? It's weird because you live your whole life in your head. It's impossible sometimes for me to comprehend the idea. Though. Like, wait, there's somebody else living on the same planet, having all their own <laughs> thoughts at the same time? Like, that's just wild to me. I mean, I, I do believe in, I, I don't know the t- the technical name of the theory, but that there's a clone planet Earth and we're just, you know, we're just uh, reverberations of of the other person that's somewhere somewhere else, and that's where deja vu comes into effect. Oh wait, you believe that? <laughs> as foolish as I probably sound, uh, I, I think I think there is some validity to it. I don't know if I believe it all, but yeah, man, that's pretty. That's high up there, right? Like you went <laughs> I, from zero to a hundred. You went from you know. skipped zero to sixty and went straight to. I, Right, like you don't are you, a, but you don't believe in a lot of other conspiracy theories. No, no, I mean, I, I I'm pretty sure on one of the f- beginning episodes of this podcast, I've fought against the science of dinosaurs. Um, yeah, you did. That's so stupid. Dark. It's a dark chapter in your life. D- dumb. <laughs> Some people still haven't let me live that down. Well, you shouldn't, right? I don't think that people should be allowed to live things down. I think that you need to be reminded of the person that you once were so that you don't become <laughs> no, that person again. And that goes no. for everybody, right? Like you need you need to be checked every couple every once I mean, in a while. I mean, you stay say dumb things, you should have to own up to them and Right. Anyways, yes, I I mean, explain deja vu to me. If you, if somebody can give me a valid explanation as to why that feeling occurs, then then maybe I won't believe that there's some kind of mirror planet somewhere. I mean, I'm not going to look it up because it's not that kind of show. But I think it's like <laughs> it's a mis- I think it's like a misfiring <laughs> of your brain somehow, and that you think this thing has happened before when in reality it hasn't. Like, it's just like your brain, like, took a left when it should have taken a right. Like, it happens. I I do think that it, everything comes down to your brain, right? Everything, your brain's a powerful friggin' thing, and you're you're probably right. It's probably just a misfiring or something, something to that effect. If you could be a brain in a jar, like, would you do it? <laughs> Not for I all mean, time. Like, this is like, hey, you can be five years just hanging out as a brain in a jar. I mean that doesn't sound fun to me. No, it no that sounds terrible. Would you okay? What length of time would you be willing to be a brain in a jar? Like, what am I doing? Just you're sitting just hanging there? out. You're just observing the world. You can watch. You get. You're like observing the world in front of like a bunch of TV monitors. 
You can you can get yeah. to see whatever's going on. You have access to the internet. To be a brain in a jar. I have no desire to do that. I don't care that much about everybody else. To and a day? Would you do it for a day? I mean, I'll do it for a month. How about that? Oh, I'll do it for a month. Man, I honestly, do I, don't, I don't think I would do it for an hour. I mean, I, I think you would become overwhelmed. Like. That, what's that movie with Jim Carrey where he's God or gets to play God? Um, Bruce Almighty, Steve yeah. Almighty. There's a couple of them. Yeah, Br- Bruce Almighty, where he you know has to, um, whatever. He gets God's powers and he just gets everyone's problems and everyone's complaints, and it's like, yeah, man. If there that's was, overwhelming. Yeah, if there was a God, he would. They would be pretty sick of our shit. Right? Could you imagine? Like, let's not get into religion or condemn it or condone it or anything like that. But could you just imagine if you were like all powerful God and you're just listening to people's shit all day? Like, fuck! No, no. wonder they left. <laughs> right? Yeah. No. I can't. <laughs> Seven billion people's thoughts all the time. No, I. Man, no. no. Right. You'd be so yeah, sick we, of people. We should probably stop having this conversation. Yeah, we don't want right. to become that kind of show. Right. That's just too, like, man, that dude's had a raw run. Okay, anyway, all right, well, let's just do some shout-out. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, yes, let's do some shout-out, shall we? Uh, let's see, we'll start with Jamie Ford. That's the uh, thing, that if a god does exist, there is one person in the universe that is his least favorite person. Think about that, right? In the entire universe history, if there is a god, there's somebody who is their least favorite person of all time. Yeah, it's it's probably pretty easy to determine who. <laughs> right? Like, how much would you have to suck? I mean, you can probably narrow it down to a handful of people as to who god hates you know dislikes the most but i'm not i don't think it would be like a big historical figure right i don't think it would be like that like what if it was just somebody from like steve from biloxi (laughs) mississippi was just the worst person like that guy just whined Um, all the time no i i still think it would be some terrible historical person i don't think so i think it would be just some random person he you know God would be like, I I helped create this, blah, 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 and look what they did. Yeah. I just think it would be like somebody that did nothing, though. Right? I, I like, I, I gave this guy a 48-inch vertical. He could run a 4-4. He was handsome, good-looking, smart, funny, and he just sat around and complained all the time. I think it would I, be somebody like that. I don't. I don't think um, I, I I I don't think God's just up there going, Paul from Connecticut, you son of a bitch. Right, like, but there has to be somebody <laughs> like <laughs> that, Stacy. If you could interview the all powerful being and be like, who did you like the least? <laughs> I, I think mean, that'd probably... be amazing. The the answer probably would surprise everyone. I I agree with you that it's probably not you know the obvious choices um, or choice I think, but um, that would be quite interesting. You should throw out an invite. See if if God wants see to come on. Right? Like I don't think it would be somebody like Stalin. 
It would be like Paula from accounting. I hated that lady. I think that'd be amazing. Karen from Arizona. Karen from Arizona was just the worst. That haircut she had was just atrocious. I hated oh my God. it. <laughs> All right. Well, okay. um, <clears throat> let's try this again, uh, okay. shall we? Uh, Jamie Ford, uh, Tony Ilanoff, Nicholas Staniszewski. And I don't think I'm saying that wrong. No. Alice. As a Polish person, I can tell you that you're not. Thank you. Uh, Alice Egan, Erico Nieves, Oliver Blaze, Anna Mia, Francis Vladner, Colt Radloff. I don't know how I feel about the name Colt, but... Uh, it's okay in very small doses, but it has to be very small doses. I can stand yeah. one Colt. Out of every 100,000 people. <laughs> That's a very specific, man. Yeah, I can only know one cold. I don't want to ever know more than one. <laughs> All right. Uh, Maxwell Piper. And we're going to end here on Doc Evenhouse. Doc Evenhouse. How do you spell Doc? D-O-C? The yeah, D-O-C. Hmm. All right. Well, got some... Bangers for oh, you. Oh, the suspense. I didn't know where you were going to go. I know, you right? You crafty Bring bastard, you. you <laughs> well, that's what happens when you've been doing this for six years. So i got to keep you on your toes somehow. Uh, all right. <clears throat> got a few of them, actually, this, okay. this episode. Oh, oh, oh man. Maybe save all right. one for uh, the next time, right? Like, don't, don't <laughs> shoot your whole wad at one time, right? Speaking of shooting your wad. Oh, I don't want it. Would you rather have sex as much as you want for five years in the prime of your life or be guaranteed to have sex once every two weeks for the rest of your life? Well, I'd rather space it out, right? Because even if that's five years in the prime of your life, that's only like 22 to 27. So you're going for an incredibly long time without it. Now, I don't think I'm going to be interested in having sex past the age of 50 more than maybe once or twice a year, quite frankly. But I don't want to go from, like, 30 to 40 and not have it. I I mean, I, I don't know, man. Once or I, twice like... a week is a lot. Wait, what was how many times was it? Once every two weeks. Oh, that's a – yeah, that's easy, right? <laughs> more than – right? That's like, yeah, dude. Would you like a winning lottery ticket, or would you like to lose forever? Like, yeah, I'll take the ticket. Come on okay. now. You didn't right. think that through. No, I, th I think I did. I, I As much as you want unlimited sex for five years during the prime. The prime doesn't have to be twenty seven or 22 through 27. It can be 30 through 30, you know, whatever, five. It can be 40, 35 through 40. Yeah, I just don't really – I mean, if I was to say how many times I want to have sex right now in my life a week, the answer would be I mean, once, <laughs> twice, honestly. Like, I really don't – I don't really want to do it that much more than that, <laughs> right? So even in the prime of your life, like, I don't understand. You're just doing it out of boredom at some point. Oh, my God. I I get I think you're speaking for yourself, but that's that's how fine. many times a week would you honestly want to have sex right now at your age? I mean, we're still in the prime of our life. If, no, we're not. If I what? If I did, we're on the downside <laughs> of the prime. That's for no. Sure. 
Well, yes, definitely. Um, we're we're sliding down the, the slippery back of bit, uh, right. Like those tires are starting I mean, to get worn out. I mean, if I didn't have children, young children, it would be four to five times a week. Oh yeah, that's still right. Like that's still not like you're gonna say four to five times a day. So that's not like right. Like it's like you could have unlimited buffet. Well, at some point you're you don't really no. want to eat anymore. I, see, well, I mean, I'd eat the buffet all, all the time. I know, cause... but you wouldn't go back breakfast lunch. I know one person who actually went to a lunch buffet and stayed through dinner. And they charged him again. <laughs> and he paid it. And they stayed there. Oh, my god! He was there for man. eight hours. We... <laughs> it's incredible. I was like, you did what? It's like, yeah, I just, I just, I was still there. What a... Could wow, you imagine person... being, being at a restaurant and being like, sir, you, uh. You have to pay again. And they're just like, oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I just feel like, did they get there at one and stayed to like six? Because if they did, that's pretty incredible. That's impressive. I don't remember the exact hours. It wasn't like they got there at three and then it switched over to dinner buffet at four. They were there for, I want to say they were there for two solid hours of the lunch buffet and then two solid hours of the dinner buffet. <laughs> which was right like that's incredible yeah it was bad i you know what said i haven't been to, uh, back i haven't been in a buffet since the pandemic and it's not because i haven't like wanted to go i just haven't gone like the pandemic you know it, it didn't stop me from going i just haven't gone to a buffet i need to change that i don't i'm not really very interested in buffets to be honest with you my interest for buffets has waned or waxed, <laughs> gone down, whichever one of those is. I'm not as interested in buffets as I was as a younger man. Uh, would you rather would you rather be with the hottest looking person you've ever seen, but be the poorest you've ever been, or be with the ugliest person you've ever seen, but be the wealthiest you've ever been? Well, both of those problems are going to correct itself, right? <laughs> If you make okay. it be with the hottest person you've ever seen, but if you're the poorest, chances are they're not going to be around very long. And you could be with the ugliest, but if you're the richest, well, you can fix that solution. So the ugliest and richest would be okay, right? Like, yeah. you can you can buy a lot of things with a lot of money. Take that <laughs> in whichever direction you want to go. See, if you're just listening to this podcast for the first time, this is what Nick does to these questions. He doesn't just answer. He has to. He has to think about it, and, and but you do it so fast. It's like a gift. I mean, you are able to break down something so quick and, and and just explain it. It's 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 a good quality to have. It's probably actually my only talent. If you think about it, if I was to like pinpoint one talent, would be to be able to size up a situation and make a decision very quickly. It doesn't get me anywhere. Besides, like, having a quick answer for your questions, but that would be probably be that and picking out a watermelon. I'm pretty good at that. Those would be my two greatest talents in life, neither of which has produced any sort of success. Uh, the, the last one here. Um, it's, it's interesting that we were talking about God earlier because I literally wrote down these questions this afternoon. Uh, but would you rather have a beer with Jesus or a beer with, with your favorite celebrity? Oh well, Jesus. Why wouldn't? Why would you? You're gonna pick like Taylor Swift over Jesus? I see. That's I, I know. 
It sounds funny, right? But I, I feel I think it'd be split down the middle. I really I do. I think, think so. I do. I think I think it would be. I mean, I, I'd have to think about it. You have a chance to speak with an all-powerful being, and you're going to go ahead and choose like Dwayne the Rock Johnson instead. Like, hey, Jesus, sorry, but the Rock's here. I mean, it, f- for me, I'd have to think about it. That would immediately vault you into probably the most disliked person that if when the greater power has ever ever created it would be like that was my biggest mistake of all time who john, john Shull. Shull. why Jesus. i gave Jesus. him a chance to talk to me or hulk hogan and he chose hulk hogan i'm just i'm just saying it, it would be difficult and i i don't think i'd be the only one that would have to double think it I think you probably are, dude. I no, think I don't you, think so, man. I mean, I maybe not so. the only one, but I would say 99% of people are going to be like, yeah, man, I talk, even if they're not religious. Like, you wouldn't want to just be like, hey, man, what happened back there? <laughs> right? Like, what's I mean, going on around here? Or or you could have a chat with, like, uh, George Washington or somebody like that, or, you know, or have a beer with them. You don't think that Jesus is going to know about them? He could answer any question that you wanted. You could even talk to Jesus about your most biggest fan celebrity, and he would know better than they would. I You're not mean, thinking not, this through. Um, but they're not there in the flesh, you know what I mean? The all-powerful being of the universe is there in the flesh, and you're going to be like, nah, man, stone cold. Want to find out about the stunner? Let's, me and stone cold opening a couple beers. God, man. I'm going ha- to have a hot toddy with Jesus over here. You know what I would honestly do? What I would honestly do, your decision would doom the human race. If I was an all-powerful being and I gave you the choice to talk to me or to Stone Cold Steve Austin and you chose Stone Cold Steve Austin, I would immediately blow up the planet and be like, this whole thing is gone, right? This whole thing was a mistake. I mean, if that's what you're basing it on, that's that that seems like a drastic emotional um, response. I think that would be, me. you know what? And I think that whoever else is up there, like his buddies, he's talking to, they'd be like, "Yeah, that's what you had to do." They would be like, "He did what?" Oh my God. No, I, I don't think it would even matter. I, I, I think what celebrity would you choose to talk to over Jesus? I mean, there's. I, I mean, I, I, like I said, all I said was I'd, I'd really have to think about it, it, who who I would choose. That's all I said. I just I just can't believe it. I'm worried about our society. I'm worried. I, I feel like for, calling Child Protective Services for your children. I'm, I mean, I'm just I'm. Yeah. I, once again, I, I don't think maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like it would be 50 50. I feel like. Fifty percent of people would say that's a stupid question. Of course, you'd have the invite and and you take it, take Jesus up for a drink. But then the other fifty percent of people would be, hmm. Okay. Uh, do you have any other bangers? Dude, no, that's it, man. To talk. You're really gonna like Jesus is gonna be there and he's just gonna appear and somebody like think about this. Jesus is just gonna appear in front of you and he's like poof into existence and be like, hey, John, I'm Jesus. I created the universe. Do you want to talk to me, have a drink, or would you like to talk to Pauly Shore? 
<laughs> and you'd be like, stuff. well, I am a fan of Polly Shore. Like, could you imagine that? Like, dude, you couldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. I mean, that's part of the thing. Maybe God and or Jesus is this pompous person who you wouldn't even want to have a beer with, anyways. You still want to find out about the universe, right? You're not going to ask any questions. What would the first question you ask to Jesus be? Am I? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I would probably ask something stupid, like, "So, when am I going to die, and how am I going to die?" No, I don't think that's stupid. And you'd be like, well, it's going to be when you walk out of this bar and you're going to get hit by a car. I think the thing that I would ask would be like, is there any chance I could go again? Any chance I'm going again? And they'd be like, no, dude. You got about five left, actually. Like, oh, man, crap. We're not religious either. I'm not a religious person, but I do think the concept of a whatever. Let's just move on. This is that for people who may be listening for the first time. We're not a religious or a political show. We just no, kind of got sidetracked just... on this. It is kind of interesting. Like, what would you do? Like, well. Well, I mean, Jesus is there or the rock walks, and I'm probably going to go have some tequila with the rock for an hour. What do you think Jesus is going to drink? What do you think he's going to have for a drink? <laughs> like, if you sat down for a beer with Jesus, what do you think he's drinking? Probably something like super, like, probably something super strong. Like maybe just whiskey, just out of the bottle or something. Think he goes beer? Or you think he goes no. hard liquor? He goes hard liquor, I think. I could see Jesus having like a whiskey or a tequila. <laughs> I mean, yeah, but knowing knowing my luck, you know, he he'd be like, "What do you want? Cosmopolitan, please." Oh God, what if Jesus drinks like a Sex on the Beach? I mean, he's Jesus. So he can, you know. Well, everybody's going to start drinking sex on the beaches. I'll tell you that. Yeah, you can drink whatever the fuck he wants to, unless the rock's there, and then I'll be talking to somebody else. God, I, man, I hope that just didn't doom us, right? You're worried about an asteroid. Well, they're sending it now. <laughs> who, who is they? I don't just know. Kidding. Whoever it is. Okay, uh, is that your whole thing? That's it, man. Okay, so our top five is top five best things about fall. It's your number five. Well, my first question to you is, has the weather officially started to to cool down in Seattle? I mean, it's Seattle, so not that much. Not like in other parts of the country. Seattle, if you would like this whole rant, has a very temperate climate. It rarely gets below 30 and rarely gets above 75. It's very, very reliable climate because it's right next to the ocean. So it doesn't swing up and down like other places that I've lived. Sounds terrible, but all right. Um, the, the seasons in Michigan have changed quite a bit. It is still 60 to 70 degrees come Halloween. And that is that is kind of absurd because I remember when I was a child, it would be 40 degrees and snowing some Halloweens. Oh, and yeah, I've once had again. a snowy Halloween. Yeah, it's... My dad walking around with his Bud Light and his, you know, jacket, telling me to go back to a house again to get the same candy because they gave out the nice candy bars instead of the shitty ones. Yeah, you wouldn't do that. That's good parenting. <laughs> no, and go back again. I, re- I remember one time I went to the same house and the person goes, "Didn't I just see you?" <laughs> I said, "No, it must have been the other Pillsbury Doughboy." Oh, Sorry. you got to give it like thirty minutes. Well, you know. Uh, anyways, my number five. Uh, I'm speaking of what I, what we just kind of alluded to. I'm going with uh, the cooler weather. 
That's your number five? I have a yeah, hard time not putting that a lot higher is the change in the weather. Well, I actually don't mind the hot weather, and I think people always say, man, I, I'm ready for the cooler weather, and then when you get up and you have to start your day and it's 40, you know, 30, 40 degrees, then you're like, man, I wish it was still warmer outside. Mornings mornings when it's dark and cold, that's, that's tough. That's, to me, yeah. the hardest part about fall and winter, the change in the morning, change in the sunlight. Yeah. My number five is hoodies. I love wearing hoodies, man. And you can start rocking hoodies in fall. It's hoodies every day. Yeah, I, I don't actually disagree with you on that. Fall fall uh, clothing is it's it's better than summer clothing and way better than winter clothing. Yeah, fall I think is the most comfortable clothing season. For sure. Yeah, because even though summer you could make an argument that that's the most comfortable, you're wearing the least. I like to be, you know, I like to be a little wrapped up. I don't mind a little blanket. I like well, little just, lounge pants, right? You can't do that in summer. You can't put a blanket on in summer. You can't have a in, sweatshirt just, on in summer. Just put a little, put a little nick to bed. <laughs> I don't mind being tucked in. You wouldn't want to be tucked in right now? <laughs> no, I don't actually like... I, I don't like, like the feeling of being tucked in. It bothers you? It does. When's the last time somebody tucked you into bed? It's probably been like 30 years if you think about it. Yeah, I don't remember the last time I've I've ever been tucked in. I don't remember the last time, but I'm sure it was when our moms were we were little kids. They tucked us into bed. Nobody's Probably, tucking me into bed now. Nobody. So you, My wife doesn't even know I'm in the bed half of the time. Oh, she knows. Oh. Uh, <laughs> all right. My number. <laughs> uh, my number four is just the colors of of the season change. Um, and it kind of goes along. I was trying to figure out a way to, to, to fit in, like, candles in there and, like, smells. But I went with color change instead because it really is the leaves and the grass. It's It goes from these dark blues and greens to just death and destruction. Jesus just goes, poof, you didn't have a beer with me and everything turns gray. That's how it works, man. Also, that is, like, the weeniest answer that I thought that you were going to give. Like, I really love the fall colors. I don't want to hear about fall colors. I don't want to hear about pumpkin spice lattes, fall colors, or anything like that. That's the worst part about fall to me, is you got to hear everybody talk about the same stuff. I don't want to hear it. Well, you're going to hate my number one then. My number four is the holidays. I like the holidays. I'm a firm believer that the year ends the week before Thanksgiving. The year is essentially over. Right before Thanksgiving, the week of when the when the week of Thanksgiving, the year is over. You have no more responsibilities at work. Nobody's paying attention. Everybody's checked out for the rest of the year. I don't know what business you're in. Mm, well, <laughs> the, <laughs> most of the world. <laughs> yeah, I know. Fuck. Um, uh, my number. <laughs> I'm just gonna move on from that. My number three is uh, like late night fires. Mm. Yeah. Um. Just sitting around a uh, fire pit with when it's it's not too cold to have a fire, but it's just cold enough to where, you know, you get in your fall gear and you sit around a fire. You have some cold beers. It's it's probably one of my favorite things to do all year. My, I agree with that. I do like sitting by a fire. I enjoy sitting by a fire. Yeah, there's something very nice about that. My number three is football. Not because I like football that much, but because there's just... It's an event. 
there's always something kind of going on with football. Like, oh, you can do that at the very least. That kind of brings like an excitement to the year, I think, that football does that. I mean, not only does the fall bring football, but you you have hockey, basketball, it's not the, the same. baseball playoffs, it's not the same. soccer year round. Nobody it's... cares about that. The polo championship, badminton regionals. Hey, don't don't hate on badminton. I love badminton. It. Honestly, <laughs> that's one of those sports I wish we played more. Like I love badminton and racquetball. That stuff's fun as hell. Hitting yeah, a ball is. with a racket, watching it bang off of things. It's amazing. <laughs> Uh, all right, my number two is uh, kind of piggybacking on what you said is uh, just the holidays. I don't agree with you that the year ends at Thanksgiving, but uh, you know, you kind of you kind of start the season right with uh, Halloween, then Thanksgiving, and then the whole month of December is just you know Christmas, and then you go into New Year's. It's it's it gives you something to look forward to, especially when the weather at um, at that point is usually pretty shitty. I could make an argument that if you're not in kind of like retail or anything like that, that your year kind of ends with think, with Halloween. <laughs> the year's kind stop. of over with Halloween. Like, I'm not really doing anything after that. Like, November and December, nobody's getting big projects done. <laughs> well, that's it's good for them, I guess. My number two is laziness. Laziness okay. is one of my favorite things about fall because you don't have to do anything. You can just be inside. You don't have to do anything. And the weather's not so bad like it is in winter where you can't really do anything or it's very difficult to do something. Fall, to me, is the laziest season. Yeah, because you're not necessarily getting the snows that you have to go out and take care of. Mm -hmm. But it's usually cold enough to where you don't want to do anything. Then, like you said, there's football on or something to do. It's the laziest season, in my opinion. That's, I like that, right? Like, I, you don't really have to do stuff. Like, summer, you always feel like, I gotta be out there doing something. I gotta weed gotta go whack to the, the shit out of my shins. Right. You gotta go mow the lawn. You gotta go to the beach. You gotta go to the whatever. But in fall, you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't <laughs> have to do that. All right. My number one is the uh, the fall food. Oh, I don't care about fall food at all. Oh man, it's... what's you? Eat? What are you eating in fall that's so special? Oh, I mean, name it. I mean, we could talk about Thanksgiving alone, uh, crockpot meals, hearty meals. You know, just th- th- things. Kind of what you were uh, like talking about laziness meals where you just want to go to sleep right after eating them. Mm. The only fall food that I like is chili. That's the only one that I'd be like, no, no, no. You got to wait for fall for some chili or soup. I mean, good, like good thick soup. But other than that, yeah. I don't care about it. Chili soup, like you know, it's usually obviously too kill, too cold to grill outside. So you might do some cooking on the stove, mm. and you just. Mm. My number one is what I think the only number one should be, which is just not sweating. I've said that I don't mind sweating. I've told you that. I don't I didn't I kinda like to sweat. It makes me feel alive. Yeah, but just like doing nothing, sweating, like just being there, being hot, sweating, I don't enjoy that at all. Well I mean, people can go to YouTube and I, I sweat just recording this. Yeah. That's I can see it. <laughs> do you have any <laughs> do you have anything in your honorable mention? 
Um, I have uh, like fall TV specials, like holiday specials. I'm a, I'm kind of a sap. Like I look forward to you know like the the holiday movie marathons or or like the Charlie Brown Thanksgiving uh, show, you know, or some of the artists musicians that do one off concerts in in the fall. I like those. I don't. I've never paid any attention to those. I could care less about any of those things. Okay. I mean, not all right. at all. Like, it's surprising how little I care about it. That, like, oh, that's a thing. Like to me, I was actually shocked that that's something that other people actually enjoy. Oh well. Except well, for maybe the Thanksgiving Day, maybe the Thanksgiving Day Parade or the Christmas Parade. I can't remember it. That's like the only thing that I'd be like, oh, I'm going to watch that. Uh, and then I also have on here. I didn't really know how to put this down in a concise manner, uh, but I have I have like um, like themed food, like pumpkin spice at Starbucks, or like Halloween cookies. Wow. You know, like different different like fall themed food that you can that's seasonal seasonal food. There you go, fall seasonal food. I think I hate stuff like that because I hate anything that I don't care about that I now have to either hear about a lot or pretend like I care about. I mean, the pumpkin spice phenomenon, God, it was a little much a few years ago, but it's it's, 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 it's not bad. I mean, it's not like it's a terrible product. I just don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear people yeah. say those words like, oh, PSL. <laughs> Strike them down, Jesus. Okay, that's going to go ahead and do it for this episode of Profoundly Pointless. I want to thank you so much for joining us. If you get a chance, leave us a rating, quick review. We really appreciate it. It really helps us out. And if you get a chance and you really like the show, we have been nominated for Best Interview Podcast in the 2023 Signal Awards. So we've put a link to the voting site in the description. Really appreciate it. Your support. Thanks. I'm so awkward at things like that. Because John and I just, we're not good at any kind of self-promotion. We're just terrible at it. And I feel like whenever we try to do it, it just comes off weird like that. But anyway, let us know what you think are the best things about fall. And if fall... I. I want I would honestly make a case that fall could be fall could be the best or at least the second best season. Let us know what you think. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.